Hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is the writer Sloan Crosley. You may be familiar with her books, I Was Told There Would Be Cake, and How Did You Get This Number, which are both great collections of personal essays. Her new book and first foray into fiction, The Clasp, was just released. This was one of my favorite conversations I've had so far, so let's get into it. Do you ever take wellness formula? No, it's weird that you say that only because it's a cat food. My cat eats wellness. Wellness is, a, yeah, that is also a cat food, but there is like maybe, I don't know, it's the same brand. I'm like, mm, this feels weird. Did you no, ever eat uh, cat food? Did you ever eat dog shit? I'm just curious. <laughs> Just asking questions. So, uh, where'd you grow up? <laughs> Are we starting now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna include some of that in there. You know, <laughs> you should. I'm gonna include, yeah, yeah, you just warm into it. Um, <laughs> I grew up in White Plains, which is southern end of Westchester, mm-hmm. sort of wedged between the opposite towns of Scarsdale and, and Yonkers. Basically, the suburbs. If you just kept on going, mm-hmm. um, you know north of Manhattan, north of the Bronx, there's a series of towns and they're quite storied in the fact that, you know, there it's like Cheever territory and it's, it's, um, sort of ice storm territory, mm. that kind of place. Um, but so it's a mix, you know, I mean like the Clintons live in Chappaqua and Scarsdale is like very famous Scarsdale diet, doctor murders, huge, huge mansions. Um, and then you have sort of, you know, Mount Vernon, which is, you know, the subject of a Nas song. It's really mixed, obviously. Yeah. So you got so Nas, Hillary, you got Nas Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. What, did, what did these people have in common? And me. Yeah. <laughs> and I grew up in White Plains, which is, um, it's sort of like, you would ever, you ever like watch TV high school mm-hmm. and you're like, how is it possible that these like rich kids are going to a school with metal detectors and like all this like 90210 high school and like yes. it seems unrealistic but it, that's sort of what White Plains is like because it's 3,000 kids and some people are very well off and some people come from the projects and it's very mixed um, and it was pretty good um, but yeah I grew up there what i mean what was it like growing up there would, would you consider it like an ideal place to to grow um, up no i'm not a suburban fan um i mean i think i might maybe my tone tune would change if i had kids but even then i think that if i did move to the suburbs hopefully i would like follow through on the promise to constantly bring my kids into the city mm-hmm. i mean we went to the met occasionally um you know different museums but it wasn't, I didn't really start like sneaking into the city to like go to a show or, or, or like go to a party until like late high school. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? It wasn't. No, I, d- I did the same thing like, in New Jersey. I wasn't, uh, it wasn't cool. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I lived the part I grew up in was I lived in essentially what Levittown looks like um, mm-hmm. in the sense that there were three kinds of houses on my block. And it's a very pretty block and it's very sweet. And I could walk to two out of my three schools that I ever went to. Um, and it's, you know, a pretty good school system. And my father had this sort of commuter madman life where he worked in advertising and... Oh, really? Yeah. In the city? Mm-hmm. What, what did he do? He um, helped run DBD Needham. Okay. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar. Um, what was it took his me role? As, when I was a kid, it was really hard to say yeah. DBD. Because <laughs> there, there's also BBDO. There's BBDO. And mm-hmm. eventually, it's very difficult. Um, and then there's also Bell Biv DeVoe. Oh, gosh, I can't. I can't. It's too much. Um, I mean, I just, I was like, can't you work for Gray? It's... <laughs> I'm a child. Yeah. Have some pity on me. <laughs> we worked for J. Walter Thompson before uh, that too, uh, but he um, I don't I don't know what his last title was. 
before he he left the business. Was but, he a creative director? Was he you know was he a copywriter? I think you he know? was more of a businessy guy. Okay. But the thing is, he's very creative. So I feel like. I find it charming. I can totally imagine that there's a world in which, you know, maybe he was giving like ideas to the ad to the to the actual like graphic design people right. if such a thing existed at the time. I mean, and, I'm sure know. it did. Yeah, because you could see yeah. what they were working on. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, the board. Right we had them in them, my you know? we had them in my house. I remember I used them for like he would have cuz they make them like um like giant post-it pads, right? Mm-hmm. Like so there's the I just remember really vividly the the black paper with little sort of white round bubbles that represent tv screens that you know are meant yeah, um, yeah. the story know, for a different series stuff, yeah. a storyboard exactly um and so we would have them and i would i would definitely do projects um on them for school that's cool yeah and what was your mom doing she teaches special ed oh, wow. she's a very patient woman i don't yeah. have that so, so was there a lot of time that you had to yourself after school growing up yeah i mean i I did, I guess. I don't I don't fully remember feeling like I had a lot of time. I mean, my parents always encouraged me to join things, but I think my, my, my mother especially came from very strict parents who mm-hmm. made her do stuff that she didn't want to do. You know, you will take the piano. You will finish that liver. There was a definite mommy dearest quality to her childhood. And so I think her pendulum... I mean, I'm not critiquing her parenting. I think she's, she's a lovely woman. But I think her pendulum probably swung too far in the other direction. And so I was allowed to quit whatever I wanted. Oh really? You know, one, one bad cartwheel in gymnastics, one pair of like wet tights in, um, <laughs> in ballet, you know, a couple of off notes on the violin. And, and I was really, you're, you're, you're hitting it. allowed. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I played tennis my whole life. I really loved that. And that was, but that actually came from my dad. Mm-hmm. But so I wasn't, I was allowed to, they really sort of let us find ourselves. I mean, it's sort of interesting. Um, and my sister was the same way. Older, younger? Older. Okay. But we both sort of, um, I mean, I guess, how do I describe them? They're creative people without being artists. Mm-hmm. So they're interesting. They have interesting takes on things, but they don't actually produce a lot on their own. And so like all our bookshelves, for instance, everyone is always like, oh, did you read growing up? And I'm like, well, I mean, certainly I read children's books um, and, you know, fell in love with like the secret garden at a young age. But our house was like literate but not literary it's right. like robin cook and national geographics you know i mean that's great it's because like i uh, you know it's like you don't want to watch a movie with me like it's no fun to watch a movie with me why well, just because like <laughs> i just you know you're just like i'm just like critiquing i'm t- pulling apart every little thing mm-hmm. like it's just like if you just want to watch a movie and enjoy it like you don't want to watch it with me i would imagine it'd be the same kind of thing if you're growing up where your parents were writers where they'd just be like right. unpacking every little thing that you did right from that you know because it's i mean it's 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 not for fun you know it's not for fun for them yeah well the thing is is that it's just the thing that you miss out on is I remember reading an interview with Ann Patchett whose whose mother Jean Ray is a famous author in her her own right um Mm -hmm. probably more of like the housewife uh audience okay but um he's a really like big best-selling author um and Ann Patchett you know no slouch um but it's a very different kind of writing but she said once that you know being a writer was always a viable job in her house and it wasn't in mine right do you know oh I totally mean, completely you, i mean i feel like when i quit my job i worked at random house for a billion years and when i quit my job i was telling a friend i'm like it's like an onion headline like nice jewish girl from westchester quits job for no health insurance yeah. like, <laughs> what yeah <laughs> it's not that might be an actual onion headline. that might be an actual yeah. onion. you might have just yeah. seen that headline and like well i'll show yeah, you yeah i got it i got it yeah got it. you know what kind of kid were you growing up were you getting into trouble 
Were you staying indoors? You know, were you running wild in the streets? I wish I was more like, I was pretty uncool, but there's like a, there's a way, there's a brand of uncool that is cool now. Is, that's the whole thing, right? It's like, the I was Dungeons an outsider growing up. Cool. Like, yeah, I was an outsider. I was an outsider, you know, I was just like Gates misunderstood. Story. Yeah. And now it's like cool to be misunderstood. Right. Or to be just popular and cool yeah. one of these two things but i i mean this is why i love the movie super bad so much because mm-hmm. i'm like oh no, no there's actually there's like a mid-level mm-hmm. where you're just trying too hard and i think that's the level that no one talks about it and it is infinitely more uncool than playing dungeons and dragons yeah or you know just i mean i had friends but they were similar i mean i i but i think weirdly I think I always had like a fair amount of confidence in general though. I mean, I, where do you think that came from? Ignorance. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not understanding. <laughs> Not, um, you know, maybe not understanding larger perceptions. I right. I don't know. I mean, I think I was, I was always creative and I knew I was creative. And your parents supported that. Yes. They were very supportive of that. That's I great. always had the most kick-ass dioramas and like, what else can we do with this report on the phylum? Right. And, but did you make yeah. those dioramas? Cause I was reading the one book where I did. Did your dad dioramas. make the, the one where it was like an igloo? I made that one. You made that one. Although he helped me with, he didn't want me selling. He was worried that I was going to hurt myself. Yeah. Anything where they were worried, I was actually, when I was like, oh, I, okay, here's a good example. I, um, there was a science fair, and I invented a ketchup knife. And now this is, mind you, before Heinz started making the kind of plastic bottles that are actually meant to be flipped over where the cap is on the bottom. So used the one last works. night. I used one of them last used night. Used one last night. Yep. I mean, maybe also your toothpaste has it. Fine. Should have patented this thing. Okay. So it's <laughs> a real mistake. Yeah. But so basically it was a knife. Um, that had a, um, a hollow handle and then the top was sort of sawed off on, and there was a hinge on it. So what happens is, is to get the last of the ketchup, you put the knife in straight, you pull a little string in the handle and the hinge dips down and hooks the last of the ketchup and drags it back out. Right. That's great. The, thank you. Yeah. Uh, it lost to a kid who invented a TV for the blind. Mother. <sighs> <laughs> We can yeah. say it, motherfucker. I know. I wish I could say like bad things happened to him too. I then had such a crush on him. Um, and another thing I did when I was little, God, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Another thing well, I, I mean, did. I'm asking. You're asking. I guess so. <laughs> You're like, how did I get here? But no. Um, and this is what I meant by like, the sort of ingenuity and, and confidence and, and ignorance, maybe. Um, is I decided that the friends that I did have, because there's a sort of friendless echelon of people I was not part of, and I had I had friends. Yeah. Um, I decided they were asking me for advice about their lives quite frequently. I mean, this is fourth grade. And so I decided, and this is, I had not seen like the Lucy and Peanuts sketch, but I decided that I was going to sit on a rock in recess that people could come and ask me questions. And I put posters up yeah. over the school, which apparently they had just painted it. So I got in trouble. <laughs> um, and a couple of people came. And then on like the third day, this guy who I had such a crush on, right. and I, I never went through a phase where I didn't like boys. And, um, he came up to me and he's like, yeah, I have a problem. And, you know, big cartoon eyelashes. I'm sort of batting mm-hmm. my eyes. He's like, there's this really annoying girl giving advice on a rock. <laughs> oh, my God. I think oh, my I told God. Him. He just burned you so, so hard. So hard. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. Wow. <laughs> 
Because the thing is, I feel like when you're young, there's a lot of insults being bandied about. Yes. They're just like, they're juvenile. Or you like the worst but thing you that can say to n- someone is shut up, yeah. right? It's like, ooh, you said shut up. Like, or like push someone. Oh, forget it. That's terrible. But that, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. I'm sorry it was directed okay. towards you. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. I had to deal with that it. That is a damn good burn. I know. It still know. stands today. And if there was any fairness. He would be sort of, you know, drunk at a local bar right. and he like went to Yale and is an architect. <laughs> well, look, I mean, look, he just, he just had a great wit about him at an early age. Yes. So, you know, God bless him. Yes. God bless him and Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, I hope they all get sucked up by <laughs> whoever sent them. So, you, so yeah. you can't, and then so like, so what did that do to, did that affect your confidence at all? Or yeah. What? I mean, I always felt like a little outside, mm-hmm. but I think you have to feel slightly outside to then do something interesting later. To want more. I just, yeah, to want more, to be curious. To I mean, people have different motivations for doing things. What's funny about it is other art forms, aside from writing, I think we'll accept as a, as a culture, we actually find it endearing if you say, oh, yeah, I did it to, I mean, maybe this is true of writing too. I don't know, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did it to impress a girl or a guy, right? right. Like, oh, I started painting for this reason, or I want to make this person laugh, became a stand-up comic, you know, realized there's that gratification of the energy in the room, all that stuff. Somehow with writing, it doesn't seem, or like, I want to be a cool dancer, I want to be a cool singer, all that talent show stuff. But with writing, it, like, I think that it's possible that maybe I started very little to, to please people um, and to be creative and to do well. And, um, I, you know, you're supposed, it's supposed to be some, like, deep calling, and, and it eventually right. becomes that. Um, but in a way, I think it's helpful if that's the nugget that lives in you because do you know, do you know the author Jim Crace? He's like a like big British author. He's won the booker a couple of times and he says this thing all the time where he says, never forget that you're a volunteer. Um, and it's your job to entertain people as much as it's your job to explore the world and to, to create something beautiful and, and, you know, hit at something deeper. People are voluntarily reading your book. You cannot describe an oak tree for five pages just because you're good at it. Right. You know, unless yeah. unless it's really integral to the plot. And That's I great feel advice. like it is good advice. And it transcends all mediums too. Yeah. Actually, the best advice that transcends all mediums I ever got was I interviewed Bill Hader for GQ. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about SNL sketches, obviously. Um, but he said, when people tell you that something is not working, 90% of the time they're right. And when they tell you how to fix it, 90% of the time they're wrong, mm. which I thought is very much like the editorial process for everything. I mean, like Bill Hader's like on this like pedestal and then like that <laughs> just like elevates him to another level. <laughs> He's so wonderful. But that's always the best thing in any like art form or anything that you're like experiencing, just to see somebody do something right. at this level where it's just as fucking effortless. Or you can't see it where it's, you know, the, right. like the, I guess that's look what at I mean swan, by There's a lot going on underneath. Right. There's paddling like crazy. Right. You know, you don't see it. Right. Um, but, but it should, something should click in after a while. I mean, I think if it's constantly an uphill slog, like if everything I ever wrote, um, was painful from like soup to nuts, then, then right. maybe I should think of something else to write. You have to have some joy to it. Otherwise I think people can feel when you're not, Totally. enjoying yourself at all it comes people through. can also feel when you're not working at all <laughs> but but you should you should feel like you're enjoying yourself yeah what were the things that you were into growing up mm. how are you spending your time besides and you talked a little bit about tennis yeah. but you know was there like was there certain you know books that were speaking to you music movies I, people oh, ideas wow. oh my gosh so much um i'm now going through my like i'm going through like, like a what was rolodex your, slash slideshow of my whole childhood like what was your bedroom covered in okay yeah, that's a good one um hieroglyphics 
No, really. <laughs> Did you want to have a museum in your I in wanted your room? to be an archaeologist so badly. Me too. Um, it's all I wanted. Um, it's so much fun when you're a kid, you it's know? It's so much fun, the idea of discovery. Yes. Also, because the thing is, you're being told what to do, and there's this idea. You know, you're not actually, you, you grow up and you realize you're probably not going to find a haunted house. And the secret garden, for instance, that I mentioned before, there's not going to be a secret garden behind a wall for you. Right. But this is real mystery that, mm-hmm. that lives in the world, mm-hmm. and it's just cool old shit. And um, so I actually like learned hieroglyphics. You know, that I had like a stamp kit really? where they teach you like the alphabet. Do you have like the reed and everything? Yeah, or? no, I didn't have the reed, <laughs> but the, the stamps. But you know, the, like the squiggly, you know, the yeah. squiggly line and the the crow or the falcon or whatever it was, and the eye and all that stuff, which is like the eye of Horus, which is really scary. But um, anyway, um, but so that was probably covering my walls. A couple of magic eye photos, maybe. Magic eyes were great. Magic eyes were great. They were great. But I think that um, I mean, partially literature. I mean, there are things like I one of the first books I remember truly loving. Um, that was a big book that I read. I just felt, I remember feeling like it was so long because I must have been, I don't know, fifth grade maybe? I don't know. I think it was a bit beyond my reading level, but uh, was The Once and Future King. Do you know this book? I don't. Oh, it's so good. By E.B. White. It's about um, King Arthur's Court and Sir Lancelot and all that stuff. Oh, okay. You know what? It's really good. Uh, maybe, okay, that does sound yeah. kind of familiar. I just, but it's, it's weird because I, I, you know, until Game of Thrones, I, I didn't like anything like that. I had a, a big lag. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, or I didn't like anything in like the sort of... Uh, Medieval genre. The, yeah, exactly. There was no Dungeons and Dragons and yeah. stuff. Um, but um, I'm trying to think what was a big influence. But then when I started like reading in earnest, um, you know, Laurie Moore, Joan Didion, Dorothy Parker... You're reading um, that stuff in high school? Updike. Some of it. Yeah. Some of it. Not Dorothy Parker. I think Dorothy Parker I discovered later. Was um, there somebody turning you on to this stuff? Like, how are you discovering it? Mostly, I mean, this is like kind of pre-internet, right? Oh, I know. So like, um, you know, sometimes there are a lot of And I'm not saying anthology. that. I'm not being like, I'm not like, yeah, no, I know. This I know, but you're, you're like, old. You're old. You're old. <laughs> shit. No, no, no. Just because. I know. <laughs> no, I, love no, I love it. I love it. That's not, no, that's not what good. I meant. That's not well, what no, I meant. Because I'm, in the, you know, in your book, you're talking about like working in an office, like pre internet yes. like you know in 2000 like yeah that's but by fun. the way that's also it was 2000 but that was an antiquated office so like in other words if of i had course. worked in a different office in 2000 we had computers yeah right, exactly. but like they were still kind of shitty like i had yeah. a fucking winamp player where i could yeah. have like 20 mp3s right on a playlist i know you know that was high tech you know so Amazing. that's what i'm that's what i mean that's i'm not saying that's no I just you're not no okay. i totally get what you're saying i really do <laughs> but it's because you're on that line like i mean i remember like the first time I had like an AOL like chat with someone at my high school, um, being like seeing her the next day, this girl Leah, and be like being like, oh my god, like it's so funny that we were doing that, or or we would talk about the conversations we had, um, almost the way reality TV show like Bachelor contestants talk about when they fell in love because everything is so segmented. So it'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, you know, when oh, excuse me, I just okay. hit the mic. It'll be like, oh, when. You know, when Brad and I were standing by the water fountain, I really felt like a connection with him. And it's not this like fluid, normal relationship. And mm-hmm. similarly, because the internet was so separate from us, like it wasn't 
part of our relationship. We just thought it was this, like goofy thing, almost like tin cans and string. You yeah, know? it was like a, you know, I remember me and my friend like going home after school and just like getting in chat rooms and like pretending to be girls yep. and like talking to like dirty old men in chat rooms and be like, ah, we got you, we got you. I know. <laughs> and like so our, like waiting like thirty minutes to download a like white zombie logo oh to God. then like print it out on like a dot matrix print wow. to like hang up on the wall. That's you know, like awesome. that's that's what the internet was. Or I remember my dad always being like compose all your emails offline because it costs money and or held up the line or something like that yeah yeah because you, you had to had dial it. in with the phone line. i mean i used to like my version of pranking was definitely to like i would like hang out with my friends and we would go through the bathroom and find the 1-800 numbers on everything mm-hmm. and like call up crest or act mouthwash yeah number. did you ever call 1-800 mattress I didn't leave, leave off the last desk for savings. Yeah. I didn't. But prank. I would call them and just like, I guess, yeah, I grew up in like Jerky Boy's time, right? Prank so, phone calls is such a lost art. Prank phone calls it is really so, is. You can't do it anymore. I think that's the thing. I think you can. You just well, got to elevate phone? it. That's sad. You got to elevate it. No, no, no. You can do it from your phone. You just got to, you buy like a burner phone or something. Like, I don't believe that prank calls are dead. I don't want to believe that they're dead. I don't want to believe it. I know. You they're know? so good. And we would talk about like, and they would be, and we would be so creative. I mean, and that's what's funny. And that's where like our creativity came out with like pop culture, stupid, ridiculous stuff where like we would um, call up act and it wasn't just to say, oh, this mouthwash is broken or like, what can you do with this mouthwash? It wasn't like a dirty. Yeah. Um, somebody would just sort of stay in character and pretend to literally not understand how it's used and make someone explain <laughs> in detail how to use mouthwash. Oh, and man. it is really fun. I hope kids are still pulling that kind of shit. I know. Well, I think they are, but unfortunately they're probably doing it for some other larger audience or purpose. Like, okay, well maybe I can put that on a YouTube channel yeah. or maybe I can like Snapchat it or maybe I can, you know, like maybe I can write an essay or blog or something about it. And I'm like, Oh, like well, you can, you should have things that you do. And this actually goes back to your original question that are just for yourself. Like I love painting. I take really long walks. I sound like a 90 year old woman. <laughs> um, I love music. Music in a lot of ways is sort of not playing it, but it's sort of my industry not taken where I feel like a lot of my friends work in that world. Um, you know, things where I, I look around and, and it's kind of, I don't need the respect of, okay, who am I within the writing world? But it's kind of nice to just have people be like, oh, you're a writer, huh? That's cool. Like, and then talk about whatever show you saw. You know, it's, it's nice. Did it feel weird when you first started saying that? What, I'm a writer? Yeah, when people would be like, what do you yeah. do? Oh, my gosh. I don't even remember. But it was a really long time. I, I only know it was a long time because um, people would sort of scold me for not saying it. They would think I was being sort of falsely modest. You know, because I'd had the first book come out and the second book come out, but I was working at Random House. Mm-hmm. So there's a really good reason why I didn't think I was a writer because I was working for writers. Right. So, um, just yeah. just to go back just a little Sorry, bit. Yeah. No, 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 no. The conversation could go wherever oh, it wants oh, to go. Okay. <laughs> there Let's is talk one... more about mouthwash. <laughs> <laughs> there is um. There was one 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 more thing I just wanted to talk about before we kind of move forward in the narrative. Just you mentioned, you know, just kind of like um. Was there any, like, was there, besides, you know, making prank phone calls, was there any other kind of, like, just general suburban delinquents that you were getting into? I mean, we would, like, toilet paper people's houses yeah. for Halloween. I mean, that kind of thing. Um, we would sneak on golf courses and drink. Right. Um, you know, maybe weed occasionally. Uh, but not, I mean, that's the thing, is I, I feel like, in a way, 
my parents lucked out with two kids that didn't sneak out of the house at night, that didn't steal stop signs, that didn't drive drunk, that didn't, um, you know, take anything like a Chinese star to school. I can't imagine why that <laughs> came into my brain. But, uh, you know, I just, I feel uh, like I still, it wasn't I still play really... With, I still play with yeah, stars. It was more <laughs> like board games and, um, you know, movies that we watched and, and, yeah. and things like that. That's cool. I think, I guess it's, that's the kind of thing, right, where if they just, like, they give you the encouragement to like kind of get into the right. zones you want to get into there's really nothing to well it's like an well against well they're they were very very strict oh so it's not that they you're just a well-behaved you're just i was a just a well-behaved kid oh. they were actually really i mean at one point though i do remember one time where i told them i was going to the movies and a diner with friends um there was there used to be a diner that shut down i think in white plains called the coach diner that still has the still had like the thickest menu i'd ever mm. seen it was really great and open 24 hours a day and, and sad and, most, all and neon be. in the most wonderful way. Yeah. 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 And instead I went to a party at someone's house that sort of abutted a golf course. Um, there was just one golf course. It's not like it was lousy <laughs> the land golf of golf courses. <laughs> well, I mean, Westchester really is, but, but it's, I'm referring to the same one, but, um, and then the cops busted it up and, you know, suburban cops have a weird, um, I don't know what their priorities are, um, but they, they just have a hard on for fucking with teenagers. But yeah, exactly. And so they basically lined us up all up, all up on the curb, like people scattered. But you know, I was one of the caught ones, of course. You did, yeah. Oh, and no. of course, of course, and lined <laughs> us all up. And, and this is the most like illogical thing maybe you'll ever hear. If you had an ID on you, you could go. I'm not talking about what it said. So in other words, you can have an ID that says, okay, I just got my driver's permit. I'm 17. I should not be drinking. But you have an ID, off you go. I did not have an ID on me. And so I was taken down to the police station, like shoved in the back of a cop car with a bunch of kids. And my parents were so strict that um, my friend's parents came and got me. Because they knew it would have been hell. And, and And then I went back to my house and... Uh, obviously I was a little bit later, but not weirdly a movie and a diner experience if it's long, yeah. about the same amount of time. Yeah. And um, I think that the, I don't think they know that. I was just, they're like, how was the movie? Awesome. That was great. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was great. But that's, I mean, those stories stick out because there aren't that many of them. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I can remember one time being outside a house party and like a cop just drove by and I'm drinking a beer and he just like, he stopped his car, he got out, he took the beer out of my hand spilled it out in front of me got back in his car and drove away it's kind of awesome actually it is it's kind of cool yeah it's kind of cool it's you know like you know it's like i said stop it yeah just (laughs) just, but just like i'm just yeah i'm just gonna yeah uh was there was there a path that you wanted to follow like when you're kind of like as you're getting a little bit older did you kind of have an idea of like what you wanted to do i knew i wanted to write Mm -hmm. i did know that um but (sighs) I probably didn't know it for for sure until college. Mm-hmm. Were there people that you looked up to, people that you wanted to emulate? I mean, for different reasons. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, yeah, there's yeah, the of Oscar course. Wilde, be yourself. Everyone else is always taken, already taken. You mm-hmm. know, and there's no one specifically where I thought I want their life. That's funny because there's a, there's that's a line in the new book where yeah. like the person yes. at the party says that to him but like it's said in a way like man fuck you yeah <laughs> so that's funny that you just like you know quoted that earnestly. earnestly yeah yeah i know i know um <laughs> wow it's so it's so bad too when you start i mean it, it shouldn't be as much of a problem with the class and the novel but with the 
with I was told every cake and, and how yeah. did you get this number? I would sometimes tell stories and people would say, I know already and I forget that I just like forget what's in those books. Well this is what I want this is the this is yeah. the big question. I was <laughs> okay. gonna say okay. this for okay. the okay. end. Okay. But we'll get into it now. Well, you know, yeah. I was watching the episode of Seinfeld the other day mm-hmm. where Kramer sells all of his stories to Jay Peterman. Oh, yeah. And then he's at the bar and he can't tell his stories anymore. Yeah. And then it's so like what does he talk about? Oh so <laughs> I just want to know, like, what is, is that? Do, do you have a similar experience to that? Sometimes when you're writing these kinds of these personal essays, he's like, right, you know, talking about your life, like, well, they've people... been sort of genetically modified in a way to right. become essays, right? So, right. like, the raw version of it will be more detailed, or there, I mean, think about the nature of the conversation we're having, where you know, there are different spokes, um, different spokes for different folks. <laughs> um, and, and also you leave stuff out. I mean, that's what's funny is people often at readings will ask me about memory and how do you remember all this stuff? And I'm like, no one, if someone came up to me and said, you must write an essay about the second half of sixth grade, I would just, I don't know what I'd say. I'd be like, I would write about charm bracelets and necklaces, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would possibly produce. Um, because all of these memories are voluntary. And, um, and there's tons of stuff I'm not sharing with them. I think it would actually be, they aren't really memoir, so it would actually be kind of sad for me, really, if I didn't have many more stories than what are in the essays. So you got lots of stuff to talk I about. I got lots of stuff. You're not, a rich you're not, and compelling life, even though I know I... You're not running out of things anytime Yeah, but, soon. well, I mean, I think if your goal is to just do, you know, there's a whole bit now about confessional writing and essays, and if your goal is just to just, um, tell a cocktail party story, there's actually nothing wrong with that, but you will run out. That's steam. Um, but if your goal is to just bring your viewpoint to every experience you have. You'll never run out unless you become concussed. Or you become agoraphobic. Or you become agoraphobic, and then you have something to write about. And then you have something to write about. Write about, about the walls. <laughs> <laughs> write about the relationships you have right with the, the delivery people. Or the relationships I have. There's a fly in my house right now Yeah. that, you know, I almost, I came very close this morning to look up, looking up what the lifespan of one of these things. He's been there for three days. How long do they live? They can live a while, man. They, they, they can eat. It's unbelievable. He's the only one. Yeah, of course. He has no friends. No. Dying. Have you tried, like, getting them out? Like, chewing them out? Yeah. Nothing. He's pretty, pretty happy in the apartment. Huh? Anyway. Um, <laughs> this is the great. This is, this, is the, this, is, this, this is the, the good gold. stuff. This is, this is gold. <laughs> gold, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> where, did, where did you go to school? Um, to college. Like college. Yeah. Oh, college. I went to Connecticut College, which is a small liberal arts college in New London. Um, How was that? I mean, it's really the basis for the college in the book, not the people in the book, mm-hmm. but um, that sort of small, idyllic liberal arts setting um, that, you know, there's there's other stuff going on. I mean, it wasn't like a Bennington-Camden relationship, like Donna Tartt and Brady Snellis, but it was, um, it was a little smaller and a little whiter than I thought it would be, which is sort of stupid. I mean, their most famous graduate is Nan Kempner, mm-hmm. who's a giant socialite. <laughs> I don't even I don't know who that is. Yeah. How did you end up there at that school? Uh, they had a really good archaeology program and a really good writing program. Oh, and so, also it was so my, you were still exploring archaeology, seriously? I, yeah, well, anthropology. I mean, anthropology. I mean, they had a good yeah. anthropology department. Um, but I, it's also, I mean, I, I got, I'm trying to think, I applied to the University of Chicago and got like waitlisted and rejected and, and, and I really liked con i mean i'm trying to think the other it's hard to remember now the other schools but i think yeah. i looked at colgate was another one but that seemed i think colgate would have been rough because colgate i thought con would be a little bit more like wesleyan um but it was not so much yeah. but 
there are parts of it I really love. I mean, I met a wonderful creative writing professor named Blanche Boyd who really encouraged me to be a writer. And do you guys still talk? Uh, yeah, we are in touch vaguely. I mean, yeah. not like we don't chit-chat. <laughs> hey, what's up? Hey, yeah. Um, but, and I met some great friends and, and it's really an idyllic place and there's, you know. There's what were you doing while you were there? Um, well, I was only there, I should say. I mean, I really didn't like it for, I, I grew to like it my senior year, but my I know, I know what that feels year, like. I had the same experience. Where did you go? Penn State. Okay. My junior year, I went to Scotland for five months, and then I went to Columbia University for, I guess, seven or six oh, or wow. whatever. So I really, or how I don't remember how the semesters are divided. But yeah. um, so, hack off a year. Um, but I, what was I doing while I was at Con? My reaction to not liking it was to become a joiner. Like all those things I did when I was little where I quit everything. No, no, no. I I wrote a column for The Voice, the Connecticut College Voice. Mm-hmm. Slightly different than... What was the voice. angle of the column? Oh, my God. It was called... It had a name. Mm-hmm. There were recycling signs all over campus um, that said how to dispose of your waste responsibly. And so that was the name of the <laughs> column. Yeah. Which might have been the best part about it. I mean, it was like about, I mean, but even then, I think there was maybe an eye for tiny bits of humor or etiquette that, that came out in the writing later. But I would write about, you know, the etiquette of saving seats in the dining hall. And um, I, I don't remember, I don't remember the rest of it. Well, just like, I like, I ran for, I like ran for class president. Really? In college? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Yeah. What? <laughs> Was there a moment that you remember when you started taking writing seriously? I mean, I think honestly, almost immediately in college, Mm -hmm. probably uh, sophomore year, I took this class with Blanche Boyd. You know, it's hard to get into. That's always very appealing for for undergrads and for adults. You know, there's the idea of you want somebody that doesn't want you. (laughs) So that that takes a while to die. That's a big through line (laughs) for many people's lives. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, um, yeah, so, and that's, and that's really when, and then I, I, you know, but I also love publishing and I love books. And so I asked him, wanted to get a job? I mean, that's the thing. Right. So that's, so that's the thing. So like, you know, school, you know, so college mm-hmm. ends and you're like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get a job. And I didn't, did you want to move to New York? Was that always I did. the goal? I did. I wanted to, well, I wanted to move to, um, I wanted to move somewhere ridiculous right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I couldn't find a, a structure to do it. Like, I think if you have a fellowship or a job or a friend or family, you can move to Prague, but like to just up and move to Prague as a 22 year old kid with no ability to actually work there and no visa is, is not, it doesn't really make sense. So Prague was like number one. Prague was number one. Why? Well, this is actually before I knew it was like super, super hot in the nineties. Oh. Um, but this was later than that. Anyway, um, I loved it when I was traveling around when I was in Scotland, I took a trip and, um, really loved it. That's cool. That and Barcelona were my two favorites. But then, you know, I think, I hit, it took me a while to start publishing things partially because I sort of alighted upon a career that allowed me to work with writers and that paid my rent. So, the, right. That's the big, that's know? the big thing, right? Like I think, you know, cause I, I certainly de- dealt with that. Like, you know, leaving school, like I was, you know, went to school for film. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you're, you're not going to get paid to direct things. Right. And like live in New York. And so I was like, all right, well, but eventually you get, will uh, start uh, getting people coffee. Yeah. You know, get people but coffee. you're still, you're working in movies. Yep. You know? And then, like, you know, so I understand that. So I'm always curious of, you know, kind of, like, what people's mindsets are when it's, yeah. like, I, uh, all right, I want to go. I want to, you know, I want to enter this world. But I'm not necessarily well, going to be able to, you know, do this right out the gate. 
but then you still keep plugging away. I I mean, you do. I, I think that, but you're not always plugging away in a pointed direction. That's what's funny is that I don't want to, and people definitely want to hear at a certain point that like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this person was a born writer, that Toni Morrison, you know, obviously I always wanted to be a writer, but Toni Morrison was an editor at Random House. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's, um, or if you're a scientist, a scientist, they like hearing about your first, you know, people like seeing videos of Andre Agassi, like at the net when he's five years old, people love these yeah. things. And, and I, I think it's because there's some comfort in, in intention, I guess. And, Oftentimes, I think uh, the people that are most successful in different ways, yes, they always had an artistic bone. They weren't, um, there's the famous story of the life of Paul Gauguin where he was like a lawyer in France and then up one day was like, I'm going to go paint some paintings in Tahiti, peace. Yeah. And that's that's very, very rare um, to have that overcome. And so we, so we want it to be there from the beginning, but oftentimes, at least for me, like a lot of it is an accident. And then you figure out what you're happy doing. Um and there's an assumption when you're successful at something that like everything you did before that was, was on for purpose. that moment. Yeah. And, um, I don't want to make what I do sound easy cause it's really hard. And I don't want to make it sound like I don't want to do it cause I really do, but I didn't always have a sense of where I was going at all. But that's great though. I think, I think just to go back a little bit to, and this is just my personal feeling on it, where also I think, you know, people want to say that, you know, like that these people were trying to do this their entire lives Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people maybe have other things that they would have liked to have done, but I think it's easier for them to reconcile those choices of not pursuing those things when they're like, yeah, but I didn't really, you know, I didn't dedicate Mm -hmm. all this time to it. So it's not something I could have even done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do the the 10,000 hours. Right. I think there's a little bit of an aspect to that. Yeah, probably. And the truth is, is that you pay for it later. I mean, the thing is, is I, you know, when I quit my job, um, I wrote a lot of press releases, obviously, for various books. And I had worked at um, Knopf Vintage for almost about not about nine years. Mm-hmm. And when I quit my job, I printed them all out just because I thought, you know, in case anything happens to the file, like it's a lot of press releases. And it ended up being a little over 200 pages. Wow. And I sort of, I have a good relationship with my boss still or my old boss. And I dropped them on his desk and I said, well, that's where the third book of essays went. Do you know, all that energy does go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and so you, you maybe if I'd known earlier, it would be different. But like, I also am a relatively rare creature in that I, I'm a pretty social writer. I get it. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I do very well for a week by myself. I love it. I love not seeing another human being for a week. Um, But if I'm in New York and feel like, you know, just a standard case of FOMO or something like that and want to go play. Still, like the FOMO is still real for you. FOMO is so real. It's so real. (laughs) It's a real disease. There's no vaccination. So, but you weren't like, you weren't like this person who was, you know, working and publishing and secretly like harboring these dreams of being a writer and like torturing yourself over that. Well, I did it well. I mean, I sort of, um, put my toes in slowly, you know, I would write a book and music reviews for like black book. Mm -hmm. I I don't even think they're credited. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, I wrote one essay in the Village Voice, and then another, and then yeah. I was reading when I was doing some research. That's kind of an interesting story. I'm sure you've told a thousand times. No, it's okay. But it's no. I think it's a it's a really interesting story. Where like, did you do you just wrote and can you? I mean, because it's a thing. Like when I was when I was reading the articles when you're talking about it, or who you know whoever was Mm -hmm. writing the article would talk about it. It would be something like, 
and then like a chance email to oh my the god it sounds like nothing right yeah like, so like what, like what actually what, like what, what actually was in that happened freaking email you know? that, like, like that story <laughs> that story is amazing you locked yourself out of your house twice, twice on a moving two different day houses, yeah. two different houses excuse me yes <laughs> just trying try to make it as bad as possible because it's true but yes but no, and what was in that? Well, well what was is, it, I had you, were you just before. telling your friend a story yeah, I in mean, an the, email, or were you like, "I'm going to write this in an essay here, check this out"? Like, what 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 really happened? Uh, well, I should say, I mean, I'd written a, a couple pieces before that. Um, I wrote a, a big one. I wrote a big um, piece about waxing for Playboy um, mm-hmm. and a couple of different uh, things. I don't remember all of them, but. Um, yeah, I'd locked myself out of two different apartments in the same day. And you have to remember this is also like a slightly different time where people are writing really long emails. Um, and so... Because you don't write them all the time. Because you don't write them all so the time. So you got this, you got stuff to save up. Right, exactly. In the, in the, in the gas exactly, tank, Exactly, you know? in the gas tank. And so it was just maybe like five or six friends that said, this is what happened. And, you know, I think maybe I'm just like, I'm busier now, I'm more beleaguered and wouldn't... Um, this is actually pretty sad. I mean, after I just finished saying that we should do more prank calls and, and all these things for the things, for the activity's sake. But maybe it was a, it was a time in which um, entertaining my friends was as great as entertaining the rest of the world, mm-hmm. you know, which hopefully should stay true for the most part. But where I wrote it, and if you read it, it looks like an essay, but it's just for six people. So that, it's not like I wrote an email saying, ha-ha, I locked myself out of my apartment, XOXO, and someone yeah. thought, oh, I'm going to publish this. No, it was like a 600-word email that was like a point-by-point, point, you know, law and order style, 7 o'clock a.m., you know. To, to, you know. Amazing. And that's when Ed Park, who worked at the Village Voice, said, you know, if you clean this up and you, you make it not idiotic, and, you know, just make it, give it some structure, I, I can make it an essay. He was one of the people on the email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, yes, I missed that part. He was one mm-hmm. of the people on the email. And I didn't even realize, I mean, I was so... Um, had these horse blinders on for just getting the books I was representing coverage. I forgot that Ed even did features at The Voice. Um, So it really wasn't for that. Um, But then I was very excited about the opportunity because, like I said, I always wanted to write. It it wasn't burning. The the desire wasn't burning a hole in my stomach or my Mm -hmm. pocket or whatever. It was something you wanted to do. It was something I wanted to do, and I knew I wanted to write fiction. That's the other thing. Oh, okay. And so this all what seemed like What I really like want to do aside. is fiction. What I really want to do is direct. <laughs> Such an asshole. <laughs> Not you, me. Um, so, so it's just like, <laughs> so, you know, and so then, um, yeah, and so then I published and then it became really addictive to, to do that, to do the nonfiction. And it didn't occur to me that anyone would be interested in my voice in that way. But I then started writing a lot for the voice, but maybe because... I started writing, hasn't even occurred to me before now, but I think it's actually the answer. Um, I think because I started writing for newspapers, um, the idea of having a point that's not just getting something off your chest is requisite. Even if it's, I mean, I wrote one piece about how the, the goldfish is New York's underrated pet, do you mm-hmm. know, which is a ridiculous, I mean, this is not Syria. However, it has a point. It, of course, there's a story I have about a goldfish in order to tell it, but it has a point. Um, so... Maybe it it was really good training for me to write those kinds of pieces. Right, it's like it's not just, not just this like me. flimsy thing about yeah. like yeah I know I get it yeah I get it. Were there frustrating moments once you know after you kind of wrote after you wrote that one piece and it took off and it, it, was it almost the thing where it kind of gave you did it like kind of light a fire under your butt like a little bit to just be like well let's just keep doing it's this funny like that you this should is say, it's funny you should say butt because one of the the piece that first I didn't went want really to say viral. ass. I was like, I'm not no, say you should ass. say but because the thing is, the, the piece that went really viral was either the second or third one I did for The Voice. Mm-hmm. It was about white women with big butts. Okay. And like Gawker picked it up, and that's when, like, in the halcyon days of Gawker, and you know, just it went nuts. Um, 
We <laughs> are past the halcyon days of Gawker. Damn. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but it was before it was, you know, uh, Paris Hilton coverage. It was back when it was sort of, you know, Anna de Winter. Anna de Winter. What the hell's that? <laughs> I just added, like, Anna... I just made her so fancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I just added a duh to her name. <laughs> no, it makes everything fancy. My my, If I could have gone back and changed my directing name i would have been jason scott debume oh, that's beautiful i would have added a debume yeah. a debume uh places everyone yes mr debume i'm ready for my close <laughs> i mean ready for my close up <laughs> but um yeah i mean they're difficult but then but then it does become addicted so i wrote for the voice almost i mean a lot of it is you know i'm, I'm sort of foisting a lot of whatever success or career I've had onto chance. And the truth is I've obviously worked hard for it, but you get sort of, you need of, all that though. You need, you, you need, need luck. You the need luck. the talent. And you also need to be told you can't do things. So you need right. to be told, for instance, that the voice is shutting down its essay section. And so therefore I went to the observer. Um, and then the observer changed to a broadsheet format. And that's when I went to the New York times and the New York times over the city section for a while. And I started writing regularly for them, but like in a way it sort of forced me into deeper goals, such as writing for the New York times is, no offense to the Village Voice, but I think objectively better. Yeah, you know, and it's, I kinda, just it's the gold standard. Right, and so I didn't... But I still had my job. You know, I wasn't a real writer. I still had my job. So, you know, that's the interesting thing to me because it's like, how were you, you know, how were you able to do both well mm-hmm. without kind of like letting, you know, letting each thing kind of fail right. or like suffer? Well, I worked really, really, really inhumanly hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I really, I mean, burning the candle at both ends, staying in the office 10, 11 at night, um, really loving the books too helps. Like we were talking before about performances like Bill Hader right. and, 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 you know, at a certain point you have to see the enjoyment and, and to be creative, to pitch a book, to think, okay, well, here's a weird angle. Um, you have to have read it and liked it. Mm. So there's something to that. Um, and then, you know, essays, I mean, I quit my job to write the novel because I couldn't at least I, other people maybe could, but I think other people can write a novel in publishing, but not when you're a publicist in publishing. I think that's really, really hard. That's a different job. Um, it's so endless and it's so involved speaking for other people's work. And it's not, you're not in the book the same way you're dealing with the finished product of it that I think it's not, it's not totally unusual for an editor to have a book or an agent to have a book. I think, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are. I know. I know two publicists who have quit their job and then become writers. Mm-hmm. Um, three, uh, but I don't know anyone who's done it at the same time. And that's when it got weird because I'd call and pitch a book to an editor who would say, "Well, we have one slot left, and mine was about to come out, you know, in this newspaper," and it'd be like a teeny tiny Sophie's Choice every day. Right. But the thing is, I feel like there's like you know some people maybe who who look at the you know literary world from afar think mm-hmm. like oh you get a book published and then you're on easy street <laughs> you that's know cute. <laughs> I, well that's what i would imagine that's what maybe yeah. some people think right yeah. like oh it's yeah. like you you know it's the same thing in the film world right like you get a movie done like oh you're you know it's you get one done and then you just get to keep and doing then you that. get to keep doing it because right. now you you have an authority and people trust you to do another exactly one. i totally there, get people that. are clamoring for you clamoring yeah i totally get it i think that um a, they don't pay that much. I mean, I got paid $20,000 for my first book. That's How long did it take you to write it? Well, I mean, forever and no time. Right. Because it's my first book. So right. it's like, in other words, it's a, you sell it once it's a, gotcha. a group of things. Um, and, I mean, the second one took me a year and a half. And then the novel took me five. Um, five years? Yeah. Wow. 
but it's not it's um how do I put this uh you're just not so in addition to financially it being slightly different than making a movie a lot different than making a movie um and you're also you know and the other thing is it's like you're not I mean there still was a conception people would joke around and you know in the publishing house and ask me when I was going to quit you know did you feel pressure like did you yeah but from from people who I love and who love me like the pressure wasn't like get out of here it was was like lady just what are you doing yeah go for it yeah exactly were you was there were there things that you were wrestling with like to make that decision yeah I mean I mean yeah I don't have a freelance soul I, I, I do very well with, you know, I should have gone to West Point. I, I do very well <laughs> with structure. And so having to produce my own is very difficult. Um, and really, yeah, I mean, we just went over my suburban childhood. You can probably guess why I would not be the person who was going to go, like, travel to India for a year after college. It's just not in my DNA. Right. Um, and a lot of me wishes it was. <laughs> but, yeah. Was the, I mean, like, were you frustrated, like, that you couldn't be writing full time? When it came to the fiction a little bit. Yeah. And some of the essays when, um, but I took, you know, I took vacation days. I wrote I wrote. Um, I write it. I write <laughs> Do you know what another, another hard one to say is edited? I edited. 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 It's really, if you yeah. say it too much, I'm like, I edited, edited, ep, frick it. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, so it was a little bit frustrating, but in a way I was too busy to be frustrated. I was just trying to keep everyone happy. And that also is an exhausting endeavor. Um, I mean, because that's the nature of a publicist's job, especially a paperback publicist. Because anything that's gone wrong prior to you working on that project, um, you know, a hardcover publicist will often say, if something doesn't work out, uh, you know, a radio interview doesn't come through, or just the book bombs, you know, they'll say, well, maybe you have hope, you know, the, you have the second life in paperback. And then, so the expectations are often through the roof for, a paperback. Oh, so you were doing paperback only PR paperback. Oh. I mean, paperback originals as well. So it's like maybe yeah. like theatrical and rental, like, right. you know, like you're like, right. this is going to become a, a cult classic. I used to always compare it to, um, did you ever see true Beverly Hills? Yes. Okay. So, you know, when there's the evil red feathers and they knock on the door of, of the good girl scout troops neighborhood and they sell all these cookies. And then I think, uh, and then the good girl scouts knock on the door. And I think at one point, like Kareem Abdul Jabbar maybe answers the <laughs> Sounds door. Right, yeah. Sounds like a, a cameo of the time, mm-hmm. um, opens the door and it's like, Oh, I just bought some cookies from your friends. And they're like, who? And they're like, Oh, those, those nice little girls with the red feathers. And I, that's how I feel about paperback publicity and hardcover publicity is they've knocked on all the doors and we're just trying to, we're knocking again and being like, are you sure you don't want to do an online feature? I yeah. know you did this coverage in your magazine, you know, and it's, it's, it but can also, be very there's hard. There's the timing of like, you know, what's going on. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, that makes, that, that makes nonfiction that changes easier. Stuff, you know, fiction that doesn't help, but you, you, oh, so were you were just working in fiction, both, but oh, mostly okay. fiction, right. but you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, I worked with all sorts of authors, but they're also very encouraging and, and I became close to some of them. So, how does like what does that what did that moment feel like when you finished after five years of writing the book? It's I know weird. it. I know it never ends. Like it there's countless ends. edits. There's you know. No, but you know it what felt. I, mean? um, I actually too forced myself to have a moment. I told myself when I was in college and I um, I was traveling around and I was in Venice and I bought a pot of ink. I told myself, and a, and a little quill pen. I mean, really. I, I don't know. I was in college. Give me a break. And I um, I thought, 
I will open this and sign my first book with it if I ever finish one book one. So I've just had it. I play with it all the time. And so to give myself that moment, I actually opened it and did that. Um, and nearly stabbed myself and gave myself practical tetanus with this like rusty thing. But I did it because I just, you're a different person than when you started the book. It's almost like saying, what is it like to finish college? And you look back and you're like, it's cool. There's graduation. Now there's another step. But it's not quite this like perfect through line. You know, your freshman year was different than your sophomore year mm-hmm. and your moods changed and you became a different person. So um, it feels really good. I mean, it feels really wonderful and it feels like something's under your belt. Um, and ne- But now I'm still at the time. I mean, you're talking to me at the time when it hasn't come out yet. It's going to come out on Tuesday the 6th and I don't... Tuesday, October Tuesday. 6th. Oh yeah, when is this airing? Uh, in a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. It will have already come out. It's out. It's available <laughs> now say, on bookshelves so, now. That's so not suspenseful. <laughs> <laughs> In a world a couple of Tuesdays ago. <laughs> I, I mean... But yeah, you do feel a sense of gratification. I think there's a busyness that I have to sometimes stop and remember how great it is instead of just being busy. Do you need some time to start getting to get started on the next thing or are you just are you ready to go like Before what's your this process started i started working on essays yeah. for the next book so i have some essays for the next book and an idea for a novel but i mean a lot of people have an idea for a novel it doesn't make a novel um so we'll see how wild are book tours what like like burning chickens in the room and <laughs> like mcjagger stuff yeah. like <laughs> what kind of what brand of wild are we talking no, about that's a terrible yeah joke. did I'm you so see the sorry. did you see the end of the tour i'm so sorry i you know what I almost did. Sh- oh, I almost did. I you really thought about really being a person thought, who might see the I, end of the tour. Exactly. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I th- I really you know and um yeah because I was I was in Cape Cod towards the end of the summer. I remember passing by the movie theater every day, yeah. and I was like, you know what? Maybe we'll go see that tonight. Yeah. I thought like seriously hard about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I listened to Jason Siegel's like interviews about it. But this other thing is like I never even I didn't read any David Foster Wallace. That's okay. You don't but need to. I think that's fine. I could still. I was surprised by how much I liked it. But it also was a funny portrayal. There are there are things in it that are you know the way that there'll be like a political joke in a Pixar movie or something like that. <laughs> there are things in it that are meant for book publishing people, which yeah. is really funny. And anyone who's gone on a tour and had an author escort and some chipper woman being picking you up regurgitating a schedule you already know check you know talking non-stop in the car uh and for me this is gonna be the height of ing- ingratitude i know i mean i'm excited to go on tour but this is the one element where I, I don't even care if i sound like a brat because i know i'm speaking for a lot of authors that maybe wouldn't say the same thing yeah which is that they'll ask you questions um especially if you write narrative nonfiction. they ask you questions that an audience is about to ask you you know, when did you get started writing? And do you ever worry that you're going to offend people in the stories? And now tell me more about the time that you did X. And I'm like, I'm not that good of a liar. And I don't know how to tell then an audience of, let's say, 80 people that I just blew the answer on the guy in the car. Mm. So it was like a really, um, I try so to, like I try to about, avoid yeah. them. And they're really expensive. Like there are, because I know because I used to hire them. That's what's funny is I was still on the other side. So right. I hire them for authors and they're like $600 a day. So anyway, long story short is that um, they capture the author escort. If you want to be a book publicist, well. don't ask them questions about don't the book. <laughs> well, not a book publicist, a yeah. book, an author, like literally someone who's meant to pick you up at the airport and drive you to interviews and stock signings and to the, to the event itself. Yeah. By the way, these are nice people. They're not like terrible people. No, it's just that, you know, it's one of these things where it would cost one 
eighth of the price to take a car or a taxi and be more sane. You know, and then you wouldn't feel a pressure to talk about the city and what's been going on. People ask you if if, if you ever worry about offending people Mm -hmm. that you've written about? All the time. Really? Almost in every reading I've ever had. Huh. I think it's because they're their own writer. They're they're they want to be writers as well, and they're looking for. Um, they don't want to narc on the people in their own lives. And and my thing that I always tell them is that I'm like, if you if you are, literally just telling a story about how someone was mean to you, you should not do that. <laughs> it's right. just not worth it. It's like, but is there a larger reason? Are you trying to say something else? You know, then then it could be worth it. Mm. I mean, like like the story you told earlier about that kid burning you so hard. Let's revisit that for a Let's second. Let's revisit it. Like, that's we? funny. That's hilarious. It's not about him being mean. And it's like no. his meanness actually, like, you know, it's, it supersedes. Like, yeah, the well, cleverness yeah. of that burn supersedes exactly. his meanness. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It was really good. It's really good. And, you know, there, there are times <laughs> that that's happened. I'm so sorry. No, uh, it's fine. I'm trying to think of, yeah. Now that you're kind of on this other side, what do you kind of what do you want to happen? I want people I want the people who are supposed to read the book to get to get to the book. Um, so right now that's sort of my primary concern about the clasp is is I you know you can tell if, if someone really loved Chelsea Handler and or even Mindy Kaling and then they were like disappointed that this is like quirky or weird or dark or the reverse where you're like oh this is supposed to be so literary and you know, it's, it's too light, too funny, you know, kind of thing. And, and then you just want, you want to be, you're like in a cave for a while and you want to be speaking to, to people who you would probably respect, who respect you. You know, your readers are saints. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, all of, all of those people. Um, and then I want, um, just want to do something different with the essays maybe and, and see, and see where they go. I mean, I think that I'm really happy right now. I don't know if I have a giant, you know, um, different goal. I think that the deal is, it's like, how do you get, how do you get closest to the whole? You know, I mean, I've hit this, I've hit, I've chosen a very imperfect medium. I mean, every artistic medium is imperfect, you know, paint is an imperfect medium, but like, how do you get closest to saying what you, what you want to say or what you feel is either deep inside you or um, a part of the world that needs to be illuminated through an intentionally imperfect medium. Um, and so I don't know necessarily what's next, but the closer I can get to that, as hokey as it sounds, the, the better. I think that's a great place to end it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Unless there's, a, did I leave anything out? No, let's go prank call some people. Sounds great. Slow Crosley, thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for having me.